Welcome to Think Peace, the podcast for founders, creators, coaches, and curious minds building the future of online business. I'm your host, Sarah M. Chapel. It's time to think deeper. Tap, tap, tap. Is this thing on? <laughs> Sarah here, and we are officially back with the podcast. Um, new listeners, hi, I'm Sarah M. Chapel. I am your host. I am apparently a serial entrepreneur, um, many times online business owner, founder, person. I'm a strategist, I'm a coach, I'm a writer, and I'm kind of obsessed with business. Even when I find it deeply frustrating and painful, I find it endlessly curious and filled with possibility. Uh, longtime listeners, hi, it's been a minute. Uh, we're nine, 10 months out since my kind of accidental drop off of the show uh, last October, October 2022, which is when everything just kind of came to an end in my business, which is what we're going to talk about today. I'm really excited to be back here with the Think Peace podcast. Those of you who have been following along in other areas will know that I have kind of rebranded, I have pivoted, I have shifted, I have evolved. Uh, thanks to Natalie Miller for that language. That's something that she shared with me when we were talking, this idea of evolution, maybe less of a pivot, more of a continuation. And I am now really focusing on knowledge work on the mind, on creation and business as a creative act for, for good or for ill. So we're back with a podcast called Think Peace. This is also the name of my newsletter and I have a whole new product and, and kind of uh, ecosystem that I am building out called Think Tank, which yes, is a joke. It's all a joke, uh, but it's also not. It's also very serious. I find myself funny and I, I can't help it. So in the meantime, since I've been gone, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update today. First of all, since we are relaunching the podcast, before I go any further, if you enjoy this episode, or frankly, if it's not your favorite, but you still, you know, like me and like my work, please go and review and write a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Since we've been dormant for a while, even though we've continued to have steady downloads, love podcasts, uh, you know, it would help. It would help us get in front of some more people who may really need to, to see this podcast, I guess, listen to it really. It is a podcast and it will help, uh, honestly, it'll help to motivate me. I'm just a little baby over here. I'll be honest. It's really hard to put stuff out in the world and not get anything back. So some positive reviews, please. And thank you would be great. Also share this with a friend. If you have a friend who, who would like this, who would need it. Um, but today I want to talk a little bit about what's been going on and why I've made such a big change in my business and really at the core of it, why I closed the Holistic Business Academy. I'm in the process right now, basically, as I record this, of actually canceling the final HBA memberships. Not going to lie, it's a bit of a trip to go through and actively cancel thousands and thousands of dollars in recurring revenue. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, Holistic Business Academy was a membership community, um, an educational program that I ran for um, almost almost four years. It would have been four years in September of this year, so let's say over three and a half years, and was pretty darn successful as those kinds of things go. Um, fair amount of revenue, supported a small team, supported me, and had over a thousand people go through the program in that period of time. And now I am literally canceling it. I am saying no thank you to all of this money that I worked so hard to gain and these clients I worked so hard to gain, and I am sending people on their merry way elsewhere. 
The actual act of canceling revenue is a fascinating emotional experience. I have two kind of sides of it. On one side, I am very much a bridge burner. I'm like, yes, fantastic, let it be done. And I know I will personally feel a strong sense of freedom when the last one is done, right? On the same time, I'm a business owner. Uh, saying no to revenue is hard. I'm also a human who has bills to pay and saying no to money is hard. It's an interesting tension that I think plays out over and again when we're running businesses that are really driven by our curiosity, our creativity, and our passion. And when I think of modern knowledge work entrepreneurs, people who are making things kind of based off of what they know, whether those are coaches, creators, online educators, software builders, platform builders, community builders, people basically who are doing stuff online and most likely not making a physical product, or at least not as their, their most important thing in their business, it's likely that who you are is kind of wrapped up in it. And we can talk about the platitudes all day and sometimes they're useful. You are not your work. No, of course you aren't. You are an entire human being. But at the same time, when that work is coming from you, um, your personality, your interests, your, your way of interfacing with the world, of course it's hard to shift it. And saying no to money for that, that is really tricky. To actually say that this bridge is burned, that the, the, the idea has come to an end. One of the problems with businesses is that we don't think they should end. There are certain creative projects that come to a natural completion point. At some point, the painting is mostly done. And even if it's not done, maybe somebody buys it. And once it's at their house, you're not going to go touch it up. The book hopefully gets published, right? It is complete or it lives in your drawer until the end of time. It has the words, the end at the end of it. A play concludes, at least a run of a play concludes. Even for those of us that are very kind of physically motivated, I can't climb on boulders for endless hours. My session ends, my time on that boulder ends and eventually my gym resets the boulders and it's gone forever. It only lives in my mind. But a lot of online businesses don't have this built-in completion, unless we ask for it, unless we say, actually, I am done with this project. And I think of this less through the lens of failure, though I know it's very common to think that closing a business or closing a product is a failure. I don't find that super useful. Um, I've definitely always been someone who enjoys this idea of looking at failure as a learning process, as an indicator of what you actually want, as a way of pointing out what you don't know or haven't figured out yet. I don't find it to be such a bad thing. But I also think that, especially for a knowledge-driven, personality-driven, creativity-driven business or business product, it makes a lot of sense that there will be a natural conclusion. It makes sense that at some point you're going to be done. If we're going to zoom out into like business world, right? This is true for most founders. It's very common. It's a little bit of a trope, but I think it's a trope for a reason to think of founders as being kind of impulsive, creative people who have really great ideas, can execute up to a point and then get distracted by a shiny object. They're a squirrel. They're gone. Right. And the goal is usually to find someone else to take over the business before that happens or seamlessly so that the business doesn't have to end. This is a huge part of how big venture 
venture capital backed startups work, right? The charismatic founder is usually ousted (laughs) at some point because they don't actually have the skills, the knowledge, or frankly, the desire to keep running the company. It's very rare to have a Mark Zuckerberg, for example, who founds a company and sticks with it for as many years as he has. It's a testament for better or worse to his force of will uh, and his ingenuity that he's been able to do that. For me, well, I didn't really have anything to sell (laughs) And, and there wasn't really anyone to come in and take it over. I tried that. We're going to talk about some of the issues with the product today and some of the choices I made, but these kinds of products are not always super sellable. And even if they are, that may not be the right next step for that part of the business. So I think the idea of it ending is actually fine. I've been thinking more and more about business as a kind of art project, right? And I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I'm very ambivalent about business as art. Um, But I think that in this moment in time, business is the de facto creative practice for people. It's very hard to have a creative practice that is not a business if you want it to be a bigger part of your life because of the uh, very real demands about making money, Um, especially if you live in a country like I do with very little social uh, services and support. So business becomes this creative outlet. That's also where creative people are funneled. That very much this idea that, oh, if you're, if you're creative and curious, you should, you should have a business versus doing all these other things because business is something that culturally we think is very important. I'm not sure I really agree with that writ large, but business as art, business as a creative practice, then the idea that it would come to a conclusion that there would be an end to the movement, that your blue period would end and you would pick up a different color makes sense. It makes sense if we're talking about these kinds of businesses instead of, for example, operating laundromats, right? Or some of these more tangible and I think often kind of derogatorily called like boring businesses, which sound like really effective businesses if you're the kind of person who can do that. I wish I were. But instead, these creative businesses, it makes sense that they will come to an end and that maybe you won't sell it and maybe there isn't some magic solution. It's just over. The project is done. Your interest is done. The impact you were seeking to have to some extent has been done. I have been very frustrated over the past several months to see people projecting their assumptions onto why I made this change. It's not really attractive to want to hop on a podcast and like defend yourself. (laughs) It's not really a defense. I'm not trying to set the record straight, but I've noticed how annoyed I am when people tell me what they think happened. And I think it is because it's a desire to make it mean so much more than it does in some way, to make it mean that something went wrong or that I failed or whatever. And sure, I made some bad choices and I learned a lot of things and things that now benefit my clients directly because I've been through the ringer of my assumptions and I've come out the other side with more clarity. But ultimately, this isn't a failure. And ultimately, It ended because I was done. And I think that's enough. That said, we'll do the postmortem here today. Uh, The only people who have really gotten this so far are my membership accelerator clients. That's my small group program for people who are launching and scaling membership programs. They got all these details early, but I'm feeling ready to share them with you now. I think first of all, Holistic Business Academy, again, quick recap for those of you who aren't familiar with this product, was Uh, in a couple iterations, a membership program designed for rising spiritual entrepreneurs, 
the original target was very much people working in the spirituality and wellness spaces, which is where I started my first business and was an audience that had really asked me for a lot of business support because in my earlier life, I have worked primarily in sales, marketing, and communications. So HBA was my attempt to kind of merge those things together to serve that audience and to do it at scale and at a lower rate uh, than I could do in one-on-one coaching, for example. Over time, that audience changed a little bit. I started working with many more creatives, with many more people who really just wanted to do business a little bit differently, who were looking for something outside of the growth at any cost model, or were realizing that a lot of the business tips and tricks and tools were really not as effective for personal brand businesses and some of these other things. And I think also people who were just kind of sick of online business as it was. People who didn't want to have to do reels all day or um, do hashtag strategies or whatever the thing was that week. So about two years ago, a little over a year into the program, I realized that I was bored out of my mind. (laughs) Raise your hand if you're a founder who gets bored. This is why I think talking about this specific kind of business and where it generates from is so important. HBA really couldn't live without my attention. There are businesses that run kind of on autopilot. There are businesses where someone else's attention can make it flourish. But ultimately, this was not a business like that. I tried to fix it. But I'd say the number one thing that happened was that I was done. And I was done very early. And I kept going for years after I knew that I didn't want to be doing this. That doesn't mean I didn't have great client work and have an awesome time working with people. I always love people. People are the most fun. Uh, People are the greatest fun, as Love said. But this, this as a business, I was so fucking over. So I tried to solve it. And the biggest thing I did to try to solve it was hiring a team. I was trying to follow, I think, really the very decent advice of hiring into your weaknesses and finding people who can do things that you don't want to do and things that hopefully they're better at than you are, right? Team issues ended up being the biggest issue that I had and is ultimately the reason that I closed the product and made the changes when I did um, because having a full-time team to run a scalable product, frankly, was expensive. And when it didn't create the results that I was looking for, either in terms of growth or in terms of my own freedom, I quite literally couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford that kind of investment financially, and I couldn't afford it in terms of time. My assumption was that if I got the right people in the right seats, I would have the freedom to spend more time doing creative stuff, things that would get me excited and engaged, things that would um, build new stuff for our clients, And as a result, maybe we could keep HBA going um, and I would come in when I needed to, to do my song and dance and uh, be the, be the coach and be the cheerleader and be the teacher and, and be the face, but that I wouldn't have to do it all that much. I won't get into much of the weeds because ultimately it's not about the people specifically at all, but this failed most spectacularly. (laughs) I didn't get the right people in the right seats. And by the time I realized that, I didn't really have the money to solve the problem again. I think this is a big issue. And if I wanted to point at something more tactical, um, this would be it. It costs money to hire people. It costs money to let people go. 
I am quite literally still fighting with a state over um, like a mischarge on something that had to do with employment. Um, there's a huge amount of paperwork involved, all of this stuff, right? And as a very small company with just me <laughs> running HR amongst everything else, the labor required to hire, to run, to administer a health insurance, for example, even with the kind of software support that I have was huge. And I frankly just couldn't do it again. I didn't realize that that was going to be a problem though. I didn't think that I only had one shot and that I needed multiple. I thought that I had one shot and that I would figure it out. I thought that it would work. I hadn't accounted quite literally for the idea that it wouldn't. I am slow sometimes to make changes in the company. It's hard to let people go. It's hard to admit that maybe you hired the wrong person. It's hard to impact people's lives that way, their livelihood. So by the time I was ready to admit that it wasn't working, that the people who were working with us, even though they were great people, could not do what I had asked of them, I kind of couldn't try again. And in a way that was okay. I had backed myself into a corner I had made myself a situation where I had no choice other than to do what I wanted to do, which was to stop it all. (laughs) But that would be the closest thing to a mistake that I have. I think the key piece to pull forward from that really is, of course, hiring is great, right? Or can be. But it's going to be hard to hire to fill something when you are already mentally checked out. If I had been very, very smart, I would have made some of these moves earlier. Um, Or I probably would have had a different approach instead of hiring full-time employees, I would have hired probably agencies to do some of this work and contractors. I philosophically really like full-time employment for a few reasons. I think that it's really important to make sure that people are properly paid and have benefits. And I worry about outsourcing that through an agency um, where I don't have control over how people are cared for and, and the boundaries and the free time and the time off and the sick pay. Like I don't have any control over that, but by hiring full-time for these positions, after I was already past the brink of what I could handle, I set us all up for failure. I was not able to replace myself. I was not able to remove myself. And when I did remove myself because I needed the break. I needed to not be near this. Then of course we had the secondary impacts like revenue going down, which just compounded the issues. So the root here is my own boredom and my own lack of desire. Team did not solve that. (laughs) And I think it has worked for people. I know folks who have very successfully hired people in to take over certain parts of the business and that that has worked. I just didn't get it right this time, and I didn't have the energy or the resources to keep trying. And I do want to underline that. If I had still loved this program, if this had still been my vision, if it had been what I had wanted to do, I know I would have figured it out. And I think that's one of the pieces and the kind of assumptions that I think people send my way that really drives me nuts. This idea that it was a failure and there wasn't anything I could do. I'm sure those failures do exist in business, but I think of them more often when it comes to things like sales. At some point, there's only so much you can do. Uh, You can't force someone to buy something from you, right? There's a real limit there in terms of what is possible for for your will to to create. Um, 
but if I had wanted this, I'm pretty sure I could have figured it out, right? It wasn't that kind of thing. And I want to make that separation for us here because I think it's very easy to start to think that, um, yeah, the just saying no is a failure and it's not. Additionally, part of the reason that I was having such a trouble with the product was how alienated I felt from my own work. This is a much bigger topic that I hope we can dive into more and I've written a little bit about over on my newsletter um, but the alienation of knowledge workers is kind of a really specific, a specific little experience that is really an extrapolation of that concept as Marx applied it to, um, manual laborers and people during the industrial revolution. I've been reading this essay on and off by Franco Bifo Berardi, who's an Italian thinker called the soul at work from alienation to autonomy. And it does a really great job of kind of highlighting these changes and why something like knowledge-based work has such a specific um, impact on alienation. There's also a book I read, which I liked about, I don't know, half of maybe, I'm not sure I can truly recommend it, um, but uh, Matthew B. Crawford wrote a book called Shop Classes Soulcraft, where he's talking about some of this as well. Um, that this office work is, and these kinds of knowledge work are in this way, this like separation from the actual production of things that degrades the work. In the context of online business, this is, is pretty explicit for me in the way that a scalable product, like a membership designed to have hundreds or thousands of people in it, um, is inherently designed to dehumanize in the sense that you are trying to be less human, be less connected by having more people. I don't really have a moral judgment on that from a product design standpoint. I think that there are lots of products that don't need as much humanization, if you will, or as much connection as we think they do. That said, I have found for me that that lack of connection is a poison. It is something that really separates me from the work. I am not someone who works in a vacuum. It's one of the reasons I keep coming back to this podcast and I write this newsletter, even though half the time I think what I say is dumb and terribly written. I am not the kind of person who creates alone in a room and that's enough. The process is important to me. When I do write something I enjoy, it's one of the best rewards in the world. I'm working on a novel right now and it's nowhere near the stage of sharing. And that process has just been mind blowing. It's been so much fucking fun. But ultimately... I am someone where my work exists in context with other people. I need other people. I need community and connection to validate the work, to make it have a purpose. My enjoyment is a step, but it's not all of it. It needs to be in conversation. So to have a product, and HBA was very much designed in this way, that is designed to have thousands of people in it. It wasn't until I did it that I realized how miserable it made me, how much it made me feel like nothing I did was enough because it literally couldn't be. There was no sense of enough because I couldn't create actual connection at that scale. We never had thousands of people in it at one time. We had quite a few hundred, plenty of people, but enough for me to feel that separation and to feel like everything that was being presented was a facsimile of reality. Um, it, was, it was not true in that way. And I realized I really need truth. I need that core of, of honesty, which is hard to do at scale. 
I don't mean to suggest that scale is inherently dishonest, but there's something there I'm noodling on. So that's one of the reasons, too, that the hiring didn't solve the problem. Because for me, the dissatisfaction wasn't replaced or wasn't fixed by having somebody else do the same alienating work. Now I was just even further alienated. I wasn't part of it at all. But those two pieces aside, the team and the alienation, which kind of fit into each other, I do want to talk a little bit about boredom. I want to talk about boredom in business. I spent quite a few years trying to be the kind of person who was fine with being bored. I still believe quite firmly, and I think, I think I'm correct mostly, that the best way to grow a business is to do something a little bit boring, is to be focused, is to keep taking the same steps over and over again once you've figured them out. Throwing spaghetti against the wall, making a mess, being creative, being an artist. You can make money that way, but it's not the most scalable approach, and it's much harder to grow. But what the boredom ultimately showed me is that it's not worth being bored for me in order to grow. This is really something that is foundational to who I am. And I share it because I know I'm not alone. So many of you over the years have said things like this to me as you have bumped up against these very same issues. And sometimes I may have given you some advice that wasn't super helpful, honestly. (laughs) Something being true doesn't mean it's right for you either, right? It's true for most people. It's going to be much easier to grow a business that is linear and refined and honed and has a specific perspective and a real limit in what it's offering because it's easier for people to engage with. It's simple. They can make a decision more quickly about whether or not it's the right thing for you or for them. But what about us, right? What's the right thing for us? The boredom then and these attempts to solve it, especially through hiring and outsourcing and doing all these things to try to replace the work that I just, it's not even that I wasn't even willing to do it. I could no longer do it. This kind of speaks into my neurodivergence, but it is physically painful for me to be in some of these kinds of situations. I I get emotionally and sensorially overwhelmed. I actually can't really do it. That's a conversation for another day. The self-talk I have around that where I say, oh, you're just such a baby, Sarah. Just suck it up. Other people can do these things. Um, But the reality is, if I'm being super honest, is that I can't or, or I can only up to a point, not in a way that is sustainable, not in a way where I can keep doing that. The boredom of HBA then became such a clarion call for me, such a clear indicator that I actually couldn't have this kind of business. And I think that makes me a bad founder. (laughs) I think it makes me a bad founder because I cannot sustain something past my natural interest point. I can get pretty deep into something. I can carry it for a while. The idea that running something for almost four years is a failure, I also just find hilarious. So many businesses crash and burn so quickly, and this is a single product we're talking about, right? But I can't do it. At least not with that, at least not right now. I haven't found an idea where I would be able to just keep doing it. I think this is why I've been so drawn to writing recently, because each time it's a new problem to solve. But with HBA, I had solved a lot of the problems. And I know I said I had problems I hadn't solved, but I still did know what I needed to do. 
I needed to hire again. I needed to leverage some different resources from other parts of the business to be able to hire again. I needed to just keep marketing and keep doing webinars and keep doing this stuff that um, I don't mind, but was no longer interested in. In some ways, the path forward was so clear. And if I had been willing to play my role in it, I think the product would have continued to grow quite well. But I was no longer willing or even able to do that. So we're here at Think Peace, right? Think Peace. That is a joke, by the way. Obviously, a Think Peace is a kind of essay, a bro-y kind of uh, <laughs> assertion of, um, of belief, trying to convince people to do something. This is also a joke uh, from Almost Famous, the movie, which sticks in my mind so many years later. So that was definitely a movie I watched a ton as a child and has formed me, I'm sure, in, in ways that none of us need to know about. But here at Think Peace, why are we even talking about this? Because if you're not able to motivate, to maintain your curiosity, you can't do this kind of work. It becomes rote. It becomes boring. It becomes boring for the people you're trying to share it with. And we all know this. We've all seen people doing it. Maybe some of you have felt that way about me. I'd say the last version of this podcast had a couple things that were interesting, but overall it was just, oh, what a fucking grind. It was a grind for me. It was probably a grind for you. And here I am trying to say, all right, so what are we going to think about? How do we deal with this issue of alienation and knowledge work entrepreneurship? How do we maintain curiosity? I think there's two things. And uh, I'll leave us with this for today. First, I do think that figuring out how to maintain curiosity outside of work is really critical. Now, as a founder, this is always hard. This is one of the biggest topics forever of our time, right? Um, are you, is it even okay to have hobbies outside of work if you're trying to grow a business? <laughs> of course it is. But this idea, where do you even find that time? Especially if you have children or other responsibilities or you're disabled or you're in school or you have another job. If you're running another business and trying to get this new one off the ground. But the best thing I did for myself in the past year was give my ambition and curiosity places to explore and play outside of my business. I think this is the only reason that I've mentally weathered the past year as I tried to figure out how to extricate myself emotionally and financially from the thing that had allowed me to gain any sense of stability in my life. I tried to put that ambition and that curiosity elsewhere to keep learning new things. Now, if you've listened to me for a while, you know I talk about this a lot, I have for years, how absolutely critical it is for founders in particular to keep learning, to maintain the ability to learn new things and to do that specifically outside of the realm of your business. And that is the tool that I fell back on the most. I mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, I used bouldering as an example of something. I started bouldering just over a year ago, uh, last May. And bouldering is indoor rock climbing at low heights. You're doing these kind of very physically kind of intensive and problem solving activities, um, usually only up to 12 or 14 feet off the ground. If you fall, you fall on kind of a soft mat. Um, it's a different style than, you know, certain climbing outside and uh, definitely from climbing on a rope where you go quite high and endurance is a huge part of it as well. Bouldering is problem solving with your body. And it's hard. <laughs> it's been very hard for me in particular. I got COVID last August and still have not regained my, um, my ability to work out on a consistent and effective manner. I have a lot of issues with post-exertional malaise. 
even though I have been able to continue to be pretty consistent in climbing and doing other activities, um, I have not been able to regain my strength um, from prior to when I had COVID, which is a whole other very, very sad conversation for me for this year. Um, even though I'm generally am quite well and have fairly low symptoms compared to a lot of folks, um, that's been hard, but I've kept going. I've been, I've been continuing to climb because of this. First of all, it annoys me that I'm not better than I am by now. I was better last August before I got COVID than I am now. (laughs) So that backslide, yes, it's frustrating and painful and often makes me quite depressed and causes a lot of anxiety for me, but it's also motivational. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not giving up. You don't get to tell me what to do. (laughs) I'm going to keep climbing and try to get better at it. And I am slowly but surely getting a little bit better again. It's taken almost a year to be anywhere near where I was last summer after only a couple months of climbing but I keep going back. That's a kind of ambition. I'm not going to be a professional climber. Let's be real. I'm almost 37. I apparently have post-COVID syndrome. I'm not becoming a professional climber, but it is an activity that I could continue to enjoy and progress in for much of the rest of my life. Climbing is actually fairly low impact, and a lot of people continue to do it into their 60s, 70s, and beyond. I love that. I love activities like that, where you can have, if you're lucky, the lifespan of of this experience. So I have an ambition there and I keep going. And then I mentioned the novel. The novel is the other place. I had hoped my newsletter, frankly, would be some of that for me, but the production schedule with my current workflow means you all are getting eh, some more half-baked ideas and a little bit of of good prose over on the newsletter, which you can check out at thinkpeace.fyi comes out every other week, is going to alternate with the podcast. And every once in a while, I write something there where I'm like, well, that was good. (laughs) Or I'll have a paragraph where I was like, that was good. But the novel, wow, what a fun place for my ambition. I might try to sell it. I probably will, because that's the kind of thing I, I like to do. I am always curious about figuring out systems and structures and networks and uh, <laughs> publishing and, and the literary scene seems like a good one for me to put my focus on at this point. It reminds me of when I used to work in magazines and had to figure out that whole world. But right now, the novel, the ambition of it is just the scope. It's just making myself sit down and do it. Write the thing. I just crossed 20,000 words this morning. Thank you very much. I'm very proud of myself. And to sit here and do that and to do that without any promise of outcome, except hopefully having a novel. No one has asked me to write it. There's no guarantee that I'll sell it. There's no guarantee that it's even going to be something I'm going to want to keep working on when I'm done. But I'm doing it. So that ambition then, that piece of it, maintaining that outside of the business, It helps to create more freedom to figure out what you want your business to be. It's so easy for us, as I said at the beginning, business as de facto creative practice at this stage in our lives to let business be the only place that you express, the only place where you are ambitious, the only place where you have drive and goals and things you want to experience. But it won't be enough. It especially won't be enough if your business is something that requires you to be creative and to be curious. It won't be enough because the business cannot, to rip off uh, Sarah Jaffe here, cannot love you back, right? It's a business. (laughs) It's an entity that's designed to make money. That's its job. It's not there for love. So we need to find a place for that ambition outside. And then we do need to bring it inside and we need to ask, what kind of business will best support me? 
All right, now I just sound like stuff I've been saying for literal years once again. It's almost like I keep learning the same lessons over and over. Anyone else have that? Several years ago, I started talking about this idea around scalability of needing to know yourself. And I was talking very much about specifically one's own uh, energy levels. I have chronic health issues. I have inconsistent energy levels. I cannot predict how I'm going to feel on a given day. And while generally I am quite well overall, um, I say that and then I'm like, wait, is that true? Am I lying to myself? Do I just not want to sound whiny? Uh, None of you are my therapist. I won't bore you with my discussions and my internalized ableism. But this uh, piece of, of not of that inconsistency is one of the reasons I started to create scalable products like HBA in the first place, because I wanted something where my energy level would have less of an impact if I couldn't make a call or if I had, or I could only have maybe two calls on my calendar, that would be plenty. I didn't need 10, 15, 20 clients at a time. That piece of knowing yourself, it's more than just that, that that's part of it. It's also knowing what you're capable of and interested in, in other ways too. And as I've discovered now, I actually don't want to keep doing the same thing for months or years. I can't do it. I need the flexibility to follow my own rabbit holes, to pull the threads of my curiosity and to see where they lead me. I cannot be trapped in by promising to help people build basic business strategy for the rest of my days. With a lot of respect for that, that's good work. And I'm glad I got to do it for so long, but I can't do it now. So I ask you then to think of that for yourself. What do you want to do? What actually gets you excited? With my new product and my new work, that's so much of what I'm trying to bake in. This room to explore, to play. I'm doing more consulting and coaching, which means I get new projects all the time. Uh, I'm working on three projects right now. I'll be working on a couple new ones in the fall. Um, I uh, guess I will advertise. I am starting to book for September. So if you are looking for either uh, consulting or coaching, for the fall. You can uh, learn about that at sarahmchapel.com. I am booking now though. So now's the time to start to reach out and consider if we might be a good fit for each other as I'm booked up through the rest of the summer. And that gives me new stuff all the time. It, it keeps me excited and curious and I get to bring all these skills in different, different situations and for different people who have different goals and different dreams and different ways of working. And then my community program I'm running right now, Think Tank, it's very much designed with that in mind. It's flowy. It makes it harder to sell, honestly, and harder to run. It's less cohesive than HBA was. I can't be as specific, like, you're going to go from A to B. I can't, I can't clearly state the outcome in the way that I would love to, at least my marketer brain would. But what's happening instead is that we get to get curious. We get to pull threads. We get to see what could be possible. Next week, one of my friends is doing a presentation on running remote teams. And I'm thinking about that so much right now with the problems I shared with you earlier in this, in this episode. What didn't I know that maybe, maybe next time I'll know better thanks to his, his insight that he's sharing. So get curious. Let yourself remain free. If you start to find yourself backed into a corner, it's probably a corner you made. <laughs> you don't have to stay there. You can say no. And don't be like me. Don't be annoyed because people make assumptions about things. Of course they're going to. (laughs) I encourage you to try, though, to remember that you know what happened. You know why you make your decisions. You don't have to justify them to anybody. 
It's okay for something to end. How else would we ever create anything new? Thanks for listening to Think Peace. You can read the newsletter, join the community, and learn how to work with me at thinkpeace.fyi. I'll see you next time.